DC Public Library podcast is made possible in part by the Institute of Museum and Library Services and is a production of the Labs at DC Public Library. You're listening to the DC Public Library podcast recorded from the Labs Recording Studio in the historic, modernized Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library in downtown Washington, DC. This episode is part of the Memories on Tap series, where we highlight the stories of real people who use our DIY digital preservation lab, known as the Memory Lab, to save the memories contained in their precious personal items, including home movies, audio cassettes, photographs, and more. I am your host, Robert LaRose, and I'm a librarian in the labs at DCPL. As part of the labs here at MLK Memorial Library, we have a do-it-yourself workstation called the Memory Lab for digitizing video and audio recordings in a variety of formats and for scanning photographs, 35mm slides, and negatives. You can find out more about it by visiting dclibrary.org slash labs slash memory lab. Unfortunately, the labs are still closed to the public due to challenges posed by COVID-19. However, we have a number of upcoming virtual events which you can find out about by visiting bit.ly slash labs classes. You can also sign up to receive email updates about the labs by going to bit.ly slash labs dash email. To learn about additional virtual programs being offered by DCPL, visit dclibrary.org slash calendar. As I mentioned before, the purpose of this series is to feature the stories of real people who have used the Memory Lab to preserve their precious personal collections. My guest today is Esfandiar Puzesh, who used the lab to digitize his collection of photographs and negatives. So I guess to to start off, can you just maybe give a little bit of a background about yourself and what initially brought you to the Memory Lab? Sure. Uh, again, my name is Espandir Puzesh, and I uh, was a DC resident for a long time. I live in Montana now. I uh, was first drawn to the library uh, probably by the way it looked. I think the Mies van der Rohe architecture was drew me in like this is a really awesome library it's not just like my regular the regular library you just go to down the street uh so to speak so the the space really drew me in first and that's when i came in and i saw all the different resources that were available um i mostly had come in just to uh tinker in the lab and a 3d printer and uh, some laser printers in there so i uh, went through all that um trial they put you through to get there so I, I you know you got to take some um, safety stuff so I did that and I, I ended up getting in there and then I saw that there was a lab where you could digitize photos and I thought great I have so many photos I I was kind of the generation of kids that were in this cusp of in between uh, photography that was done on 35 millimeter cameras and then all of a sudden after during college it just kind of transitioned to this like digital phase where everything was digitized and so then i was left with all these photos all these negatives that i just couldn't do anything with um not that i couldn't do anything with it just kind of was sitting away just collecting dust so i thought that would be really cool to just take some photos and scan and 
and see them again and be able to take them with me and put them on my computer and, and be able to look at them again without having to go through 16 boxes to pull them out. Yeah, yeah, it's not, uh, it's becoming less and less common to be able to have those negatives just take them down to your drugstore and have them developed. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really challenging. Yeah, you, you, that's interesting that um, you, you mentioned the architecture of the MLK Memorial Library, because that's when you used the lab, right? When it was still before right. the renovation. It was before the renovation, yeah. It was, it was maybe like six months or so before I had heard stories and news about the renovations happening and uh, but yeah, I, I had gone into the, the library prior to the renovation. I'm not sure if it's done yet, if it's completed or not. It's, it's been completed? It has been completed. Of course, we can't open fully yet because of COVID, but um, so people can't fully appreciate it uh, mm -hmm. in person, although there are, there is actually a virtual tour of, you know, all of the building, all the floors on the website. I can't recall the URL off the top of my head, but if you go to dclibrary.org um, and go to the MLK page, it should be on there, the virtual tour. Um, cool. Yeah, it, it's interesting because Mies van der Rohe, I believe MLK was the only library that he ever designed. So naturally it would look different than probably most other libraries because he wasn't used to designing libraries. But it's That's interesting correct. that yeah. you, you really felt invited by that architecture to come in and use mm -hmm. the labs. So what kind of work were you doing in the, uh, the other labs, in the fab lab or the studio lab? So I, uh, at the time I was very into I've always been into um, the arts, so to speak. Both my parents were traditional artists, both of them painters. I didn't ever get into painting or the traditional arts, so to speak, but I studied it. But I ended up going into more of the music and video route. Um, I've always played with music, and I was really into it at the time. I was really into synthesizers, um, modular synthesizers. If you're familiar with how they work, you kind of you buy different modules that do different things and then you, you plug them into each other and they, they tweak the sound a little bit. Um, so I was really into that at the time. And uh, I was working with this format called Eurorack. And um, the challenging part about it was you would buy these modules and you'd have to just kind of jerry-rig them onto something. You'd make a box out of cardboard. You'd use an old suitcase. You'd just find anything you can to just mount these modules on so you could just make some music. Um, so I, I was just kind of in this, in this whirlwind of like, how do I make a box that's just not cardboard, but something that looks manufactured? Uh, my previous, my first kind of study of why I led to art was because of architecture. And that's what ultimately drew me into the library was because I knew it was a Mies van der Rohe uh, design. So I, you know, I, I thought, man, I need, I need to find a way to, to make this box work. And I knew that they had laser cutters there. So I was like, I'm in, I need to find a way so I can cut some wood, make it look really good. So that's what led me there. Um, so I was really just extensively using a laser printer to cut boxes for, for, my, um, for my synthesizers. 
Um, didn't end up making much music from them, but <laughs> definitely spent a lot of time making making things, and um, that's what that's what I'm doing now. I'm studying to become an engineer, so I ended up finding out that that's what I really was doing with that was not trying to make the music, but just trying to design a box for the the synthesizer itself. So it's kind of yeah. funny how things work like that sometimes. So are you are you going into audio engineering? Is that the no actually. Here? No, mechanical. I'm doing mechanical engineering right now. Um, I, I love, I love, uh, you know, so, so I'm kind of like doing mechanical engineering with uh, some focus on electrical. And that's really ultimately where a lot of synthesizers lie is just understanding the circuitry and how they work and how you can take uh, some voltage and, and manipulate it in a way so that you could do things with it. You could take a audio signal, say, and uh, make it sound like it's in a big hall or completely distort it and do all sorts of things. So and that was kind of like what I really liked about it. But ultimately where I am is the mechanical, which is designing things that are real and you can kind of feel them. It's, it's just more comforting for me to see a product at the end where music is when you compose something, it's just, you just, it's just very time-based. You play it, it plays for a certain amount of time and then it's gone and it's just in your memory. And, uh, very hard for me to grasp. I, I need real yeah. objects to look at and be able to just see them and stop and not have that time base. I, I'm just not very good with being time based. You know, mm -hmm. I like I like to sit and stretch it as much as I can and really focus on it. So. Yeah, it's it's intangible. Mm -hmm. The music. Well, that's great. You really. It sounds like you really uh, got the full use out of the labs services that the library had to offer. You kind of use all of them in a sense absolutely um, yeah so talking about these photos that you digitized topically what was what were the kind of topics or or experiences in your life or your family's lives that were represented by these photos mm -hmm. Well, it started mostly with, so when the idea popped in my head, I need to get some photos digitized. I thought, well, what do I have? And as I mentioned, uh, being in this kind of generational cusp, so to speak, like where, you know, the first part of my life I spent without any, you know, without the internet, uh, this digital, this digital revolution that's occurred. And then all of a sudden being in high school and now right after high school being thrusted into this world where like everything is digitized all my photos from, um, I would say, um, my childhood to, to high school and early college were all just on film. And uh, I, I thank my dad for that. He bought my first 35 millimeter camera for me right before high school. It was a Minolta and I took it everywhere with me. It was like my cell phone. I took it just on every trip I went. And I, I had the, the opportunity to go on a lot of trips to Europe and uh, visit Iran um and lots of places in the u.s and i took my camera with me over i went and i took lots of photos just so many photos that like you would go through them now and say you know i you know i was trying to be an artist at the time so i was just i would just go to a tiny spot where no one would really look you know we'd be in the middle of the grand canyon looking at this just amazing view and i would just be taking a picture of a branch that was slightly dented or something so you know I, a lot of yeah. these a lot of these ideas that i wanted to take out and and the the difference between now and then was you just pick up your phone now and you just you can take hundreds of photos and it's fine but the 35 millimeter roll it costs money 
So every every photo you take has some uh, it has some cost to it. So you have to be a little bit more careful. So you know that kind of started with that. The idea was I wanted to kind of digitize all my high school photos and all these trip photos. And then uh, as I was thinking about the things I want to digitize, I thought of um, I thought of some of the photos I had taken of my mother's paintings. Um, my mother loved to paint and she would just paint on everything. She would just take a scrap piece of paper or board that was just lying around and she would just kind of draw on it. She, if she had paint, she would paint on it. And she's just had thousands of these collected over the years, just so many of them. And uh, it was really hard to hold on to them. A lot of times she didn't even want them. And they were just these, uh, I would describe them as just very like expressionist uh drawings and paintings of very inanimate objects like plants or a chair that was in the house. Um, and she would just kind of do it over and over and over again. And I had, I had photographed a bunch of those and, um, over the years we had kind of lost all those paintings and disappeared. My, my mom moved back to Iran and she left. So when she left it kind of, they all just were all up in the air. So I had photographed a bunch of these at some point. And uh, I wanted to be able to just digitize those and have them with me so that I could look at them. So yeah, yeah those it was the the bulk of the work. And you know, it t- it took me some time to scan a lot of these. I, I it did it in I think I did it in about two or three sessions at the mm-hmm. the, the memory lab. Yeah, it certainly takes a lot of time to uh, even though it is a free service, it's um, free monetarily, but certainly not free in terms of time. Absolutely. Um, so when you kind of switched into the digital age, you around the time of college, right? Mm-hmm. Did you notice any change in your your habits in terms of photo taking or your artistic approach to taking photos? I think a lot of the yes, I I I, I think I I didn't notice it at the time. But I think what happened was I, um, when I look at the photos, um, they were, the photos prior using film were, they almost felt like almost more, like there was more thought put into them. Whereas the photos that came with the digital age were uh, more candid, more um, in the moment so to speak and not not to not to say that they weren't very good but they were just weren't something that I would I would proudly show to someone and say oh you know look at this photo of me with my friend hanging out in uh, this place and um, it's funny because if you look at it historically photography something like this happened um, when Kodak started to make cameras for the masses so to speak like there was this prior to that photography was a very, it was, it was a, it was something that was generally generationally hand down. If you were, if your father was a photographer, you would be a photographer. And it wasn't something very easy for just a normal person to just say, I want to pick up photography. It was just very expensive. Lots of chemicals, lots of processes. It was like a a specialized trade. Exactly. Yeah. It was specialized trade and Kodak just came and through this camera and then people were just taking all these photos. And I think, I think that same transition happened. It, photos became more real and candid, so to speak. Like it's just like in the moment you're taking photos. So that, I felt that same experience happened with me. And I, I noticed it with observationally, I've noticed it with people around me too. They were taking more photos and, and then add the Facebook 
social network deal that came later, then photos became even more just hundreds of photos of a birthday party, say, on <laughs> Facebook. Yep. So, yeah, I definitely noticed that happen. I, I wouldn't want to say the quality changed. You know, if you're looking at it from like an artistic perspective, yes, the quality changed. I couldn't put most of my digital photos up in an art gallery. Uh, but, you know, do I have any of my old negatives in an art gallery at the moment? No. So uh, <laughs> there's that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting that um, I didn't really know that specifically about photography, but it makes sense with any technology. It's happened with a bunch of different things, like cars have sort of had that same development where it was a very few... Um, it wasn't very common for people to drive because it was such a, it was a physically intensive activity. Um, and then when, you know, automatic transmission came and cars became cheaper, that made them more widely accessible. And it's happened with computers too. You know, all these technologies kind of uh, become popularized in a way. Absolutely. So, yeah. So when you were going through these photos, I guess the ones that you were digitizing, the negatives that you had, was did you save everything that you had or did you kind of pick and choose? Did you? Yeah, definitely lots of picking and choosing. I think the process was just, it, it just takes a little bit of time. You know, you have to really pick something, you line it up, especially like some of the photos, I didn't even have the negatives anymore. I just had the photo that was printed at Ritz camera. Uh, I don't even know if they exist anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if, you know, if you remember, you would just take it, you would take your negatives into a store and you'd give them to the guy or the gal working in behind this counter and they'd print them out and they'd have a big machine and they'd do all the work for you. And they mostly came out really great. So I would use that. So, so there's a lot of photos that um, I didn't have the negatives, unfortunately. So I use, I, you know, I had to be a little bit more um, choosy about those. Um, the negatives um, as well. Um, I can't recall what device I would use to, I think there was like an insert that you can put into the scanner that you can scan some negatives. Yeah, there's um, a tray that fits, I think it's uh, a strip of six negatives at a time. So you just slide them in That's the um, one. to that tray, yeah. Yeah, so I had to do that too. And yes, there was a lot of, there was a whole selection process. I almost felt like I was a juror on a, uh, you know, some sort of design project. And I had to look at things and say, you know, yeah, yay or nay, you know, this, this photo of, you know, this photo I took of this rock, I thought was really cool. Maybe, maybe I don't need this anymore. Um, but then, you know, there, uh, there was a lot of um, difficulty with more sentimental photos of family or friends and uh, my mother's paintings, for example, where I felt this kind of obligation to scan all of the ones of the people because I felt almost as if like, if I didn't scan them, I would, it, it would, they would be forgotten in some way. Like I would put store them away and never see them again. Um, granted that they're mostly all living in a folder and in, in a drive somewhere at this point. Um, it's funny how like we think um, digitizing something is archiving it. Right. Where in fact, if you look at archival processes, the best archival processes today are vinyl or uh, things that have been around for a very long time. And you can just rub a magnet against the drive and 
poof, everything is gone. Whereas we have a vinyl on the Voyager that's leaving our solar system right now. And it has pieces of information about us, um, which is, it's incredible. It's incredible to think how, how we think that um, older technology like that isn't reliable, but. Um, yeah, it is interesting. Um, because with, with digital, even after you digitize something, the process continues on. You have to really keep up with those files um, because even over time, you put them in a folder that is your archive, basically. But then what happens when the file types become outdated? You still have to reformat to new um, file formats. Uh, make sure that the files aren't becoming corrupted in any way, backing them up in multiple places. So, and we also have a misconception that it's somehow easier to save digital files than, or digital objects compared to, to analog physical objects, which is, it's not really the case because as we mentioned before, like with digital, the proliferation of things that you have, it's so much easier to amass a huge collection that takes more time and effort to manage than a physical one. Absolutely. Yeah, I have I have so many libraries, photo libraries from that I just can't, I, I, it, I just don't have the time to sit down and have them manage through it. And then duplicates and you have say like six duplicates of one photo and then you feel bad deleting one because you're not sure if there is, it's just, it's very complicated. Um, and I think a lot of times people do it because of the, the Mary Kondo effect, so to speak, like you want to get rid of physical objects in your life because you want to distance yourself from having too many things. So you get rid of all this stuff and you think, let me digitize all this, like all these photo albums that I have so that I could declutter my life. But in fact, you're, you're making it, you're making more clutter for yourself. And, you know, that, don't even get me started in terms of like, let's say um, for my daughter, um, if I want to pass these along, how do I do that? Like, how does she know um, what folder has these photos of her grandfather in it? Uh, I'd have to sit down and put them in my will. I'd have to um, create a plan, so to speak. So it's, it's, it's very complicated. And I think a lot of people, I think the general public, of course, observation, but I think a lot of us, we don't, we don't know how to handle this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's definitely a big issue. Like they call it um, digital estate planning, mm -hmm. essentially, where I, I, I was thinking about this the other day where, you know, all of your accounts, email accounts, your social media accounts, um, online banking accounts, all these things, um, not even mentioning like all of your files that are say you know personal files saved on your computer if you don't have a like a spouse or a close friend or a family member to entrust these credentials like signing in the login credentials for these things all that whole swaths of your history will be lost to yeah. potential um, descendants or other family members down the line who might be interested in that, who might be interested in doing genealogy or something like that. And these digital records will be so important 
to figuring out who people living in this current age are. Because nobody writes letters anymore. That's one of the main things that people use for genealogy is, uh, you know, physical documents, um, letters, correspondence between people. And now that we don't have that, um, it's all digitally, it's all digital, so it's actually a lot easier to lose. Yeah, so. it's quite it's quite tragic. Yeah, it's quite tragic. I mean, if you look at it, even from uh, human, the progress we've made with all the things that we've studied and learned over over you know all these years, just I would even use Leonardo da Vinci as an example. Um, imagine Leonardo da Vinci had an iPad and he uh, wrote, he did all of his sketches and all those all those amazing. Like the helicopter is a good example. I think that's a really popular one where he had drawn a helicopter. Mm -hmm. Imagine he wrote, wrote it on his iPad and his iPad was, he had a passcode on it. It was really hard to get to and it's just gone. It's, it's, it's not, we wouldn't even know those things existed. Yeah. Or if it crashed so and he lost the files. Yeah. And it's gone and Leonardo da Vinci doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's quite tragic to think that a hundred years from now, um, how how is this information? Uh, you know, maybe there are some great minds out there right now doing doing work and putting things together who don't necessarily have the uh, the uh, I would put it as like an operational um, it's an operational thing. You got to sit down and create a backup plan, and you know how do you how do you pass this on? Uh, it, it's, it's unfortunate, um, but I'm sure in the past it's happened too. Like letters have been burned in, in buildings and, and et cetera. So yeah, I'm curious to see how, how this would carry out. I, I, my advice to anyone who wants to be remembered is to, uh, is to archive all your stuff in a way that can be, can be tracked down, you know, mm -hmm. can be somehow extracted in the future. And yeah, one of the great ways to do that is by recording metadata, as I'm sure, you know, like putting in clear file names, putting in the, in, uh, properties or, or depending on what operating system you have in the description for the file saying it's just like writing on the back of a photo who's Absolutely. in the photo you know so like for instance your daughter will be able to know looking at this file who's in that picture mm -hmm. yeah I mean history is only as good I guess as what survives right it's true yeah so we won't know some people I've read have called this current, basically from the dawn of the, or the, of the World Wide Web, specifically in the early 90s, to now, have called this a sort of digital dark age. And I think a lot of people are getting better about recording what is going on now so that these, all this digital correspondence and, um, and whatnot won't be lost but for a while it was I think people were just so excited about the new technology that they didn't think about how fragile it was I agree yeah, yeah. it's yeah and if you look at it from if you look at it from the perspective of like a person versus a corporation versus a government I think governments and corporations have uh, they have the funding and they have the time and they have the patience to be able to create uh, models, so to speak, for how to preserve information. Of course, libraries would be included in that too. Um, how that how that passes down to areas where 
funding isn't available, like nonprofits, like environmental nonprofits, let's say that are doing work and they're so busy in the work where they don't have the time to take that work and say, um, archive it in the correct way so that you can, you can access it later and use that information. Um, this is, this is kind of the concept of science in the end is sharing, sharing information. You know, you have all these silos of scientists that are working on probably the same thing, but they don't know they're working on the same thing. Um, maybe that person put all his research in a zip file and never gave it to the company he was working for and forgot to. And now that research is gone. So yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that go missing. And I'm curious how, if there's just a um, silver bullet, so to speak, that would solve this all of it in one fell swoop, or if it's something that's just we're going to struggle with. And perhaps it is the digital dark age and uh, there'll just be a blank space in history for all the things that have occurred. Mm, maybe be... maybe the tweets will be um, tweets will be preserved i suppose yeah but... <laughs> i hope so and and um i guess it's just it just comes down to making spreading awareness about it as with any cause right any movement just uh, education and spreading awareness of what tools people can use to make sure that their legacy, their digital legacy is preserved. Absolutely. So, yeah. so going back to, to your collection of photos, um, was there anything that, as you were going through and trying to decide what to save, anything that, um, like the documentation of a particular instance or place or person that was surprising to you? Maybe you thought you remembered it in a different way, but then the picture, when you saw the picture representing how reality, like the reality of it, maybe it surprised you in some way? Yeah, there was a particular, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny you say that. Um, there was one trip I took to, my, my father um, took me to Italy to, um, and he took me through, we, we started in Rome and we actually went all the way down to Naples um, we took a night train. It was, it, was a, it was a very fun trip. And I remember it as a very fun trip because my family, we grew up um, with uh, not very much money. We immigrated from Iran in, in, in the, the mid 80s. And um, it was very hard for us for a very long time. So when, when my father finally had the opportunity to you know, he, he had done very well, he was able to take me to on his trip. And I just remember it I remember it as a very fun trip and I was probably like 13 or 14 at the time when he took me. And, uh, when I think of the memory, I think of like, wow, it was such a great time. And then I, I had some of the photos that I ended up scanning and in every photo I, uh, I wasn't smiling. I just seemed very, I seemed very bored and very, uh, kind of, uh, what's the word aloof, mm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. and uh when I, I i think i ended up asking my dad about it and i said um what was i like on the trip you know and he's like i don't know you felt like you weren't very present and you were just somewhere else and i just took it for you being a teenager and just being um you know not not there but uh when i think back i remember seeing everything like i remember 
all the experiences we went to, he took me to the Salvador Dali Museum in Rome. And um, I got, I, I just remember all that. It, it's all there, but in the pictures, it doesn't look like I'm there. So that was a very interesting um, observation I made when I was scanning the photos. That is interesting. Yeah. So you feel, I think I've had that happen too, where I, I thought I was having a good time, but my outward expression didn't really show it. And my family members said, well, didn't you enjoy yourself? <laughs> I said, yeah, I did, but you didn't look like it. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was, it was, it was funny, yeah, or funny experience. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have any um, photos or anything, any kind of documentation of your parents' lives, like in Iran or other family members? I do. I have a couple photos. I had one um, that was... It was a photo of my, my dad and my mom and when they were young in college. They both went to the University of Tehran, um, which is in the capital of Iran. Mm -hmm. um, they have a really prestigious art program uh, there called Honar Hayaziba, which they were a part of. Um, and there was a photo of them. It was just like a group of, um, group of friends. And I didn't even know all the people. Of course, they, you know, whenever you point them out to me. But so my father was on... You know, let's say if, if I'm the frame of the photo, my father was on this side and my mother was on, on this side. And it was very, it was just a very quick photo. Um, there was like 10 people in it. Not everyone's looking at the camera. Um, and the thing that really caught my eye with the photo was that my mother was talking to a friend. And while she was talking to her friend, my dad was looking at her. So he's kind of staring across the frame, looking at her. And it's just, uh, I think this was like right before they started seeing each other and and being in a relationship so to speak and it's just like the look in my father's eyes just like looking at her and you know just that um to me it felt like it was like his moment that he like fell in love with her you know mm. or it was just a very powerful moment that just was captured on this photo and i got to i got to scan that and keep it as as just something that i can look back on and um it was pretty cool it was a cool photo yeah that is really special i mean that's really what photography is all or really art is all about about capturing trying to capture moments like that so you can yeah. experience them again and again no absolutely that's yeah. really cool yeah mm -hmm. i i think i have a similar photo in my collection or my parents collection from their wedding um the party after they after their mm -hmm. wedding ceremony and their opening gifts and there's a picture with, I think, my father and mother and then my grandmother, my mother's mother. So it would have been my father's mother-in-law. Um, and she is looking at my father in kind of like a sort of a questioning way because he made some joke or something. Is looking at the camera. And that's uh, a kind of a joke in our family like he was did something that she didn't like a typical mother-in-law relationship <laughs> but uh, you know it's a priceless moment that you would never it, it's so difficult to capture but it's great when you have that to look back mm -hmm. on so. yeah yeah it's very profound it's profound what photography has done for us it's just so uh, you know memories are so fragile you know, they, they have research that says that if you 
access a memory, the more you access the memory, the more corrupted that memory becomes. So like you think of a memory of a time you did something and maybe after five years, there might be something added to it, you know, and it, it didn't really happen. Um, photography is not like that. Photography is very, um, uh, it's very objective, very objective, whatever's in the moment, it's there, it's, it takes it. And of course, other mediums like uh, film is, is, is very similar to that. But I think photography is special because it just, it's just that one, it's that one frame in time. Uh, it's very powerful. Yeah, even though it's been around for so long, and I think a lot of people think of it as just a thing that's available and around. I, I, I think of it sometimes. I think, wow, it's such a such a powerful tool that we've we've developed and we have. Yeah, we sort take of it for take granted. it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Take it for granted now. Mm -hmm. So now that you you know you you've digitized your whole collection, I guess by now, what is um, how is your work in preservation continuing for your personal collection? Are you, you know, as you continue, I'm sure you're continuing to collect digital photos or digital files. How are you working to, to save those? That's, that's a good question. Um, I have been rec recently, not recently, for very many years, I've been obsessed with the idea of how can I preserve um, all the things that I have, like these digital photos and, and be able to pass them on to my daughter um, and she can take them and pass them on. Um, so I've spent, I've spent a lot of time researching um, managing my data. And uh, what I, you know, the conclusion that I've reached is that I have to, I have to, I, I did a lot of programming um, in my previous life. So I, you know, decided I want to, I want to make a database of all this stuff and I want to be able to, to track them down. Of course, there are like readily available tools out there that you can, you can get that you can um, be able to store, store all your files. Let's say it's just like all encompassing, like all your files. Um, but I haven't found something that really um, is searchable. Like you can use, uh, I know a lot of newer computers you can use, um, you know, there's, um, if you use an Apple, a Mac, you can use their search to search files. Um, and you, it's really, it's not there yet. Like it's not, we're not, we're not to the level of Google, so to speak, like where you Google something and they have web crawlers that have indexed sites and they can search inside of the sites. Right. I think the challenge is, is finding a good search engine that you can use, um, ultimately like to just be able to dig through files and use, um, machine yeah. learning. Yeah, to find things, you know, I know that metadata is kind of the, the key right now, but that takes that takes work, it takes time. And a lot of people don't do that. Um, I don't do that for everything. But, um, uh, you know, like right now, you're when you're using your phone, I have an iPhone, you can search for objects, like the other day, I wanted a picture of my car, and I just searched for car and it shows you, it's able to use some algorithm to detect cars and pictures and show you that. So I think the future, the future lies in figuring out that a solution that you can have, like I, I would ideally would be like an open source solution that you can offer to the world, you know, something like that people can just throw all their files, files into a repository and just be able to search it. You know, if you're feeling like you want to look at a photo of your, your mom or your dad or, um, 
high school photos, so to speak, you can just type in those words and, and find it. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the future lies is making your files searchable so you can find them. Whereas uh, um, the cataloging portion right now, it's just, it's, it's, it's really difficult. It just takes time. Yeah. So, it yeah, that's, does. that's where my hope is, is that I could be a part of something like that um, where I could develop something that I could um, save my stuff and, and, and pass it or pass it along to someone else if they want to use it. Um, of course, it, that would take a lot of time to develop, but, Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Even with uh, the the machine learning capability to detect what is in a picture, you know, if you search like you know landscape or uh, parents or grandparent, you know, things like that, mm-hmm. so those pictures will come up. It still requires that that metadata aspect because you have to tag you'd have to tag mm-hmm. those photos with those properties for the the computer to learn like this is what represents visually what represents this kind of tag it, it is definitely a lot of work yeah i think a lot of these corporations are figuring it out apple is definitely they've done a great job with um being able to track people in your photos you can it's 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 similar to metadata metadata where let's say um you have a photo it'll say like is this person um jack for example is a fictitious person will say jack um you pick a photo of jack and you say this is what jack looks like and and it'll pull 10 15 other photos and say um check which one's jack and maybe five of them are jack and maybe five of them aren't and you just check them and i think after about uh, once you create it sample size enough for this algorithm to be able to find the features of Jack, it'll, it'll just automatically start doing that for you as opposed right. to you having to individually go and do that. So I think there are some, there are some financial gain from these corporations to, to, to develop these kinds of systems. Um, and ultimately we get the, we get that, um, we get the payoff for that because we get to use it and we don't have to spend our time and energy making it. But um, it's 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 a it's a right now it's definitely um, the wild west for cataloging your photos. It's uh, definitely a, a world right now where it's very hard to do that, and it's not there yet. Perhaps it'll get there, but um, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's 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 a it's a balance at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for now it 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 still does take a lot of time and effort on the individual level but uh, yeah maybe one day we'll have that that facial recognition um it'll be so advanced that we can just train our phone to recognize or whatever device train it to recognize people like Mm -hmm. that that would be really cool yeah i'd Um, sign me up (laughs) (laughs) yeah well um as we sort of come to a close here, I also wanted to ask you um, if you remember what your earliest memory is. And of course, I, you know, we already mentioned that the more you, you brought up the fact that the more you recall a certain memory, the more uh, creative your brain gets, mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. tweaking it. Um, but do you have... Uh, a clear image of what your earliest memory is? 
Yeah, I do. And I'm willing to distort it a little bit more by accessing it now <laughs> for, the, for the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, I was, uh, I don't know how old I was. Um, I was very young, uh, but we were, we were living at um, Langley Park at the time. Um, that's in, that's out in Maryland. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I remember my older brother, he's, he's about six years older than me, was playing outside with him and the ice cream truck was passing by. And uh, I remember he, all the kids in the neighborhood, and we lived in like a garden apartment kind of um, complex. And uh, I remember chasing after the ice cream truck with my brother. Yeah. Is anything, did anything happen? Like, did, you know, did you get to the truck or did you trip and fall or anything? I don't remember. I don't remember the ice cream. I don't remember. Maybe we didn't even have enough money to get ice cream or... It was just the uh, it was just the uh, the energy. I remember the energy of uh, seeing this truck, all the kids dropping everything that they were doing mm-hmm. to get to the truck. And I think that was the um, perhaps perhaps the reason I started running towards the truck was that everybody else was doing it. So I think um, it was just this energy of like being a part of something and just running towards it like you know, it's, there's nothing else to do. It's just kind of like your blinders there the ice cream truck is there. And I think, um, I don't know, we don't do that much as adults. I think, I think uh, as an adult, you kind of get, you lose that, you lose that, um, you lose that present tense you have as a child, you know, everything is in the moment, everything is happening then there's no, like, I have to pay bills. I have to turn this in. I have to do this. I have to do that. It was just like me. No, yeah. There's no prioritization. Everything is everything is in that moment, and uh, it was just this ice cream truck, and I had this uh, goal of getting to the ice cream truck, and <laughs> we were all running towards it in the end. And I, I, I think it was a white ice cream truck. I don't know; it could have been a different color, but who knows how much of this memory actually happened? And right, uh, but yeah, that's that's my first uh, memory that I can think of that I've had. That's interesting. And of course, it's not tied to any of your photographs, right? You just have that. Yeah. Why do you think that, I guess this is kind of a difficult question, but why do you think that stuck with you so long? That's a good question. I don't, I, I don't really know, but just thinking it off the top of my head, um, I think uh, the fear of missing out is definitely something that I suffer from. I think I always want to be a part of the fun and part of the happenings. And now with this year, uh, this past 10 months to a year, the way it's been and everyone's just kind of been, the whole lives have been uh, upended. And uh, it just feels like maybe that's part of who I was too. And who I am now is just wanting to be uh, part of something great. And an ice cream truck, of course, is just an ice cream truck to us now, but um, to maybe a child the ice cream truck is something great, something to look forward to and something to anticipate. Um, you know, someone might just say it's just a sugar rush, but in the end it's, um, you know, we all want to be a part of something. I think collectively as humans, we are, um, we strive to be, uh, you know, to work together and do things. And ultimately in the end, like that's what I think a lot of with, with the vaccine coming out so quickly, I think that's a prime example of it is just, people working together for the greater good. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, it's all on the surface, but I think in the end, that's kind of what I want to be is I want to be a part of the greater good and, and uh, 
progress as humans and, and, and progress forward and do great things and um, make the world a better place, so to speak, in an individual sense, but also, you know, if, if everyone does things that make them feel good and, and, they, and, and it really adheres to their values and their beliefs, I think the world would be a better place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just start from me. So chasing that ice cream truck every day, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what happens when people focus on a uh, a goal that has potentially good outcomes. It's amazing what can what can uh, result from that. So, if everybody focused on uh, improving themselves or their community or whatever as heavily as you focused on getting to that ice cream truck, it it would be amazing what could happen. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I can say this is my advice to all parents with children. Let your kids run after the ice cream truck. Let your kids have the ice cream because that's <laughs> where that's where I ultimately led to was taking it and, and, and running with it. Mm. So. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for, uh, for having this discussion. My pleasure. Um, uh, yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Robert. As I mentioned before, we are continuing to offer virtual events from the labs during this time. For more information about upcoming classes and programs, visit bit.ly slash labsclasses. You have just listened to an episode of Memories on Tap on DC Public Library podcast, recorded from the lab's recording studio in the historic, modernized Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library downtown Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening, and please be sure to join us next time. You just tuned into D.C. Public Library Podcast. Listen and subscribe at dcplpodcast.simplecast.com or wherever podcasts are available. Send us your comments at DCPL on Twitter or follow us at DC Public Library on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening.